Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How you doing? Well, COVID has returned to my house, so I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, it's fine. It's been really fine, and everyone's okay. But it still means that, you know, (laughs) like there's like a toxic zone that no one's allowed to go into, and things get complicated, and yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. So I'm looking forward to this being done. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's been a busy week. I was in Vancouver this week talking to a lot of young people and it was, it was great. I had a good time there. So for those of you who were there, thanks for, uh, thanks for all the great feedback. Um, that was cool. Uh, and today I went to the park and I was playing around, you know, I was trying to do backflips because I'm a giant kid. It was fun. Um, and now there's an (laughs) ice pack on my knee. So that's how I'm doing. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, it's great. Listen, you should you should play as an adult, I think. I think everyone should play as an adult. I'm not making an age comment or anything, but um, yep. I'm fine. Yep. But you know what? The, the more you do that, the more you do that, the more you will backflip without needing to use ice after. So Exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. Listen, I encourage everyone to join Capoeira. It's the most fun thing in the world. Okay. (laughs) But I want to tell you something. (laughs) I want to tell you something that I'm really excited about after last week's show. Oh my God. Okay. Let's hear it. Well, I'm not, it's not like I'm really excited about it, but it's just something, it's like kind of a follow-up to last week's show that I want everybody to know. So last week we spoke about how, um, you know, when the police are talking, uh, about, how there's like increased incidents of violence on the TTC or something like that, which we're seeing a lot in, um, in the Toronto area. Uh, we, we spoke about how weird it is that, you know, the media is just kind of publishing these stories uncritically without actually doing an analysis of is violence up and how much is violence up instead of just taking these stories from the police. Well, guess what, Nora? Someone has done that story. Someone in the media has done that critical story. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you to the listener who sent that to our email. It's in an outlet that you may be familiar with, Nora. You might be very familiar with. Passage. So for those of you who don't know, this is, uh, we've spoken about Passage before. We, in fact, on our website, if you've uh, if you don't uh, listen to Sandy and Nora through our website sandyandnora.com we have a section over on our website that we created that's just for sort of alternative news sources in Canada that you can uh, take a look at and one of those alternative news sources that's relatively new is passage. And so there's an article called the TTC Toronto police and the manufacturing of violence. It's written by David Mastracci and David, David Mastracci. Listen, I'm sorry. (laughs) He's my boss. I have to get it right. I know. I know. And I knew I was going to get it wrong. I remember that you have corrected me on his name previously on this podcast. So Davida, I apologize. Um, So Davida Mastracci has written that article. He's done an analysis and he concludes that the numbers aren't in sync. 
So have the numbers of incidents gone up on the TTC as reported by the TTC? So not as reported by the police, but as reported by the TTC. The answer to that question from 2021 to 2022 is yes, they've gone up. But the amount that the media is reporting based on how much they've gone up is not proportional. And even more than that, he does an analysis from 2019 to 2022. Turns out the amount that the media is reporting of the incidents on the TTC are not proportional to like anything (laughs) that has to do with like whether the incidents are going up or down. It's kind of random and it's probably not random. We were probably able to do a little bit of an analysis of when the police are trying to make sure. Davida does not make this conclusion to be clear i am i am making a speculation i'm willing to bet that if we were able to do an analysis of when the police were giving that information to the media that that is where we would find a correlation but it is not the amount that the media is reporting is is not correlated at all to the amount of incidents that there are from year to year well that's not surprising at all <laughs> No, but it is what is surprising is that this is the only place we've seen this kind of analysis. It's fantastic and it's great that this analysis exists, but you know, uh, this is really imp- an important thing to be looking at whenever we're we're thinking about crime, where we get our crime information, safety, and where we get our safety information. We can always, yes, if we want, get all of the information from the police and ignore the fact that, wow, this this seems to be really fantastic for their budget cycles. Or we can choose to get that information from other sources like the TTC themselves. We can uh, try to get records from the hospital. You can try to get records from other um, uh, society, societal organizations that are experts in these things as well. We don't have to just listen to the police because, as we know, they're not a reliable source. Mm-mm. No. No. And and you know what? I was in Toronto last week and I was on the TTC a couple of times. Usually I try to walk everywhere when I'm in the city and so I don't actually spend much time on transit, but it was very cold and I didn't have my snow pants, which by the way is the only way to survive very cold (laughs) nights and days. Everyone needs to have snow pants. If you don't have your snow pants, get some snow pants. They're great. I didn't have my snow pants in Toronto and so I was on the TTC several times and it's like it's it's brutal to see the the people who are relying on the subway system as a warm place for them to go and to sleep and to stay out of the cold. It's like it's really sad. I saw one police officer in my three trips. Uh, my trips were not long, but I did go through multiple stations. And what was really surprising to me was that there was no outreach workers. So you know, some of the people had behavior that was erratic and was loud and disruptive, but there's no one there that can talk to them or that can provide some sort of service provision, like giving bottles of water or granola bars or seeing if people need help getting to where they're going or if they need a place to go, like nothing, 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 nothing. And, and so like, you know, while I've lived in Toronto a a while ago, 10 years ago, things have really changed in that city. And to just see so directly how little support there is for the, for these folks and how they are on the subway just to stay out of the cold is like, 
very enraging. And then when you think of the police being the only solution that they're coming up with to to fucking fix this, is like even more and more and more, more enraging. Like there was one guy who I, I was on the first train, so like at six six oh five or six oh six or something in the morning as I was as I was leaving. And there was a guy who was pretty incoherent. He was like, I'm trying to get to Young Station. Is this the station? One of the he's like, yes. And he gets on. And the guy was asleep in a minute. Like, he was asleep before we got to the next station. Like, he just needed a place to sleep. He just needed a place to lie down. And he sat down on the chair and he fell right asleep. And it's just like, the solution to that is not cops. And anybody that thinks it's cops is a fucking charlatan and a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's all there is to it. Yeah, get. and in the absence of a city that wants to fucking uh, do what a city is supposed to do, which is take care of the people living in it, um, in the absence of that, people, uh, people, other organizations are forced to to try to do what they can do uh, to, to support. And it's, it's like just such a, a, a fucked up way um, that this, you know, that Toronto is moving forward right now. I was uh, listening to a report about how St. Michael's Hospital, which is one of the hospitals that is uh, right downtown, um, one of the things that they're doing in, 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 in their attempts to provide support for people is that, you know, the, the emergency room is a, is a place where a lot of people are ending up if they can't find a warming center, which there are certainly not enough warming centers in Toronto when it gets very cold right now for people who are unhoused. Uh, people are ending up in in the emergency room. So when they show up in the emergency room, the hospitals are now uh, trying to do all sorts of things to to support people, including making sure that there are support workers there um, uh, to help people uh, get the help, find the help that they need, but also things like giving them gift cards to 24-hour places, uh, like at Tim Hortons if it's open, so that they can go into a warm place for as long as they can and purchase something so that they're allowed to stay there. It's like, this is un, like, this is ridiculous. Like these are public services uh, should be able to provide, um, uh, what they're, what they need to su- provide and the public service that the, that the, um, the city uh, should be providing is, um, you know, making sure that people don't have to go to the emergency room if they're cold at night, but instead what they're doing is funding the police and making sure that the police have assault rifles. This is really going to help the situation. So anyway, uh, you folks have heard us uh, talk about this stuff before, but I just thought um, I would give you you all that update. We will link the article in the show notes for anyone who wants to follow up. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, Sandy, I-, I mentioned this to you, and it's kind of a funny little bit of history in Toronto. I'm reading a book that was written in 18... 18- 98 that's kind of a state of the union on the city of toronto so like the population size and the and the the territory size and all this kind of stuff and there's this funny story of um an 11 year old boy who was playing with a rubber ball and a stick on sumac street and he was arrested by an overzealous police officer and the 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 poor kid was sentenced to either a 10 dollar fine which is a lot of money or 12 days in jail and so Toronto, more than a century of ridiculous and absurd policing. <laughs> I think I, t- I think I told you about that story before, didn't I? Uh, the story of like kids being arrested for balls, uh, playing with balls, because it's it's like one of the things that <laughs> like I keep talking about this book that I'm writing about police. It is it's like in in this book. And I it's it's funny because I I 
I was reading a story about something else entirely. This amazing figure in Toronto named uh, uh, in Toronto history named Clara Ford, who you should all look up if you have not uh, heard of her before. And I was reading this book about her, and uh, it's it's in there's a there's a discussion about this this law in this book. Um, prohibiting ball playing on Sunday in particular. Also, boys were not allowed to swim naked in the bay. Oh, that's also in this book. Okay, maybe we're talking about the same the same like reference paper. The reference is from of Toronto the Good. Yes, this is the book that I have. Ah, amazing. Okay, so great. Another good source of information about fucking weird policing in Toronto. But the book that I'm talking about is called Death in the Queen City, Clara Ford on Trial, 1895. And it is written by Patrick Broad. Ah, okay, yes. There there was a lot of skinny dipping happening with uh, boys in the... Both on Toronto Island, which, of course, is a place that has maintained the tradition of naked swimming, (laughs) um, but also on the harbor. And they were routinely harassed by police officers because it was illegal. And Toronto the Good, this book from 1898, goes through it. So that's really fun. And we'll have to compare notes. And I bought the book thinking of you, Sandy. So I will definitely give you the copy the next time I see you. Oh, amazing. Thank you. I am so grateful for that. And I'm also grateful for much more. And I'm sure you're going to tell us about it. (laughs) (laughs) yes good segue yes that was really well done so this week uh, thank you so so much to everybody that's donated for the first time or changed their donation and thanks everyone for spreading the word of our podcast sharing your favorite episodes sharing comments uh we see your comments sometimes sometimes twitter kind of hides them from us we don't see everything but we rely on you we rely on you like a lot so this week thanks especially to jelena anna Lindsay, mark Erica, Allison, and Lauren. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Now, and Sandy, before we get into the topic today, I just want to mention something, um, because this happened to me a couple of times last week, and I know it's happened to you as well. We've said this on the podcast before, but it has been a long time since we've said it because the pandemic meant that we weren't going anywhere. Um, If you meet us in real life, it's not a big deal. (laughs) We're just average people. <laughs> it's true. We're like average nerds. Yeah, like shout out to the folks that I met last week. Um, a lot of very cool young activists uh, that I got to meet on different campuses at Concordia and at Too Much University, a.k.a. TMU, a.k.a. formerly Ryerson. And um, it's really cute. And, I, I you know, I, I love meeting people that are fans of the show. And um And we're just normal folks. So, like, let's all be cool together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Okay, so this week, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about the way that the liberals cynically use, um, like, dates of commemoration or the context surrounding what time of year it is uh, and particular uh, dates that may be of significance to particular communities to push their political agendas. Mm, Yes. This is something that I wrote about actually in Take Back the Fight, uh, specifically related to feminism. Because Sandy, 
Would it surprise you if I said that there was a feminist announcement made every year around March 8th? No, it would not because March 8th is International (laughs) Women's Day. So no, it would not surprise me if the liberals were scrambling to find out what it is that they could announce for women on that particular day, whether it's something about a she session (laughs) or something else equally um, frustrating. (laughs) That's like, happy International Women's Day. Here's your she session. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, they are masters of doing this. They are masters of doing this. And I think that this is a really good topic for us to talk about because what has happened in the last week, there has been a shit storm around, principally around the appointment of of a new representative to fight Islamophobia, but then also very recently, another miniature shit storm around the gun legislation that uh, the gun am- legislation amendments that the that the Trudeau Liberals had brought in in December. So, let's refresh everyone's mind. Uh, it's December. Des- what what date in December, Sandy? Did the Liberals piggyback on to talk about gun control? Well, let me think about what's happening in December. So December and December 25th is Christmas. So probably not that. No, that would, no, no. Uh, n- not likely to be the one. Uh, December 26th is Boxing Day. Unlikely. December 1st is World AIDS Day. Mm-hmm, uh, probably mm-hmm. not. But I think I'm no. probably getting warmer. Yeah. December 6th. Was it December 6th? Yeah. Yeah. The anniversary of the shooting at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal. And so... They did that and and they do that. Now, the amendment that they put forward was pretty incoherent. And so people seized on it very quickly saying there's a whole bunch of guns on the list that they wanted to add to the gun registry. Honestly, I haven't even looked at this closely. So if I'm saying this and someone's like, Nora, you're wrong. You know what you're talking about. That's fine. It doesn't matter. There's a list of guns that they had developed that they wanted to ban. And um, and some of them were like totally regular hunting guns. And so the response was swift. I mean, obviously, you had the regular pro-gun kind of voices that are out there. But then there were a lot of folks who were like not exactly pro-gun, um, but are saying, whoa, 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 like this this actually does get into the territory of um, people who use guns for totally legitimate purposes. And I know that inside the NDP caucus, especially that it was like a nuclear bomb because there's a lot of NDP representatives who represent rural and indigenous communities where guns are really, really important and a necessary tool. So it took, um, a couple of weeks for them to now back away from that a couple of weeks, six weeks to back away from that amendment change. And I, uh, a missed opportunity, I guess, and there's a December 6th announcement to make some, I don't know, uh, political hay. And then this past week, they did it again. Well, I think there's also one other thing I think we should mention about that, too. It is it, it like it's it's so cynical, but it also is um, representative of another thing that the liberals tend to do, which is like piggybacking off of whatever's happening in the United States. Mm, and so, yeah. of course... With the with um you know there's all this controversy as we know in the United States around gun laws and in particular um, after uh, the the um, the school shooting in Uvalde uh, there's been an uptick in discussions around banning uh, certain types of guns in the United States and so there has been as the the liberals are using this you know this day in a cynical way uh, you know in 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 that case and 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 kind of off, you know, doing something that isn't uh, 
perhaps very well thought through, and in this case, they've eventually withdrawn um, uh, the bill, uh, they're also piggybacking off of um, uh, news that is happening in the United States that is widely reported in Canada, which is uh, and also a very bizarre way to engage in governance in this country. Well, it's bizarre, but it's also like um, I think that cynical is the best word, right? It's it's trying to get your biggest bang for your political buck and trying to chase your supporters it with the with the lowest price, really. And so we saw this happen again last week on uh, Thursday before January 29th, the National Day for the Elimination of Islamophobia, which is a date that the liberals created in the aftermath of the shooting at the mosque in Quebec City. Trudeau announced the appointment of a new representative to combat Islamophobia. What happened after that has been a shitstorm, like a complete media shitstorm that has attacked and denigrated Amira El-Gawabi, who is the person who was appointed in this position. And the debate has solely happened in Quebec. Now, I think that is interesting because Amira is like her French isn't very good. And so it's not as if like her primary role would be fighting Islamophobia in Quebec. Like, no one in the Liberal Party would be thinking that. You wouldn't get someone from outside of Quebec if you really wanted to talk about Islamophobia in Quebec. But what does Trudeau do? He uses January 29th, which is a day to mark an event in Quebec. And so, obviously, this becomes a Quebec thing. I wonder if he used used another tragedy, like the, atta- the attack in London, if there would have been the same reaction. And I, I doubt it. I, I imagine if that was the case, there would be more of a, uh, this is this is irrelevant, we don't need this kind of a, a, a response, rather than the vicious attacks against Amira, that leadership of the CAC and the Bloc, and some members of Trudeau's own party have engaged in. And it's like, Why? Why the fuck do you do this, Justin Trudeau? Why couldn't you have announced this any other time? Why are you why are you using events that need to have the focus on the event themselves to advance your political agenda and then hang the person out to dry when when the extremely predictable heat is then rained down upon them? It's been quite something to watch unfold and it's like good work. You just really handed Islamophobia a fucking gift. (laughs) Thanks for that. Yeah. And and I I can't imagine what that must feel like to the families of all of these people who, you know, are coming together year after year in a country that, uh, you know, quite frankly, in in some ways doesn't seem to to commemorate this um, enough all over the country. Uh, or to to reflect on what has happened enough or to do anything um, really to shift systemically how uh, Islamophobia is supported in Canada. I can't imagine what it must feel like to to have this day of commemoration um, to, you know, remember your family, to reflect on what's happened, to come together and to have all of that, anything that could could be spoken about about that kind of mired in this in this bullshit it's like I, I, fuck you know it's so cynical and at the very least what they could do is have a plan um, to support the person that they're putting out there and the families 
um, that that have been affected by the the incident, uh, the the origin of this commemoration day. But uh, I mean, no, they they couldn't do that that very least thing, could they? Because they're liberals and they're cynical, and that's not what this is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they rely on these kinds of stunts to get cheap support and. For sure, the calculation, knowing that this would go over like a fucking ton of bricks in Quebec, they're obviously playing to other parts of the country to to bolster their support. Like what I get so annoyed with is how excellent the Trudeau liberals have been at taking over so many movements, so many movements like the entire feminist movement is like now wrapped up with very specific program based funding through Women and Gender Canada or whatever it's called or women and gender equity or the Department of Gender and Equity something or other. I don't know. And they, they've they so expertly defanged feminist activism because here's all this money. You can do all these grants. But, oh, you know, don't do anything too radical because we have to approve your entire program to just give you the funding in the first place. You know, we talk a lot in this country and certainly in the Harper years, we talked a lot in this country about the federal government meddling in science. But Trudeau has been a master at meddling and defanging and and hurting activism, social activism and activism that challenges him and his party. And there's so many examples of it since 2015 that I feel like we've must have done a show like this before because it's happened in the past. But the way that it's unfolded in the past in the past week now on two issues that he's tried to use in this in this cynical way is a good reminder that the liberals they, they are so good at sucking and blowing. They need the the hatred. They need the Islamophobia. They need all of this to still exist so that they have legitimacy to say that they're the ones that can effectively fight it. And they're the only ones that can effectively fight it because the NDP can never get elected. And Polly Ever is a boogeyman who you absolutely need to oppose at all costs. And as we inch closer to the next election, like, you know, whenever the fuck that'll be, thanks to the NDP, probably not at least for another year. Um this kind of rhetoric, this kind of narrative is going to continue to get far, far pronounced. The liberals are going to feel far more threatened. They're going to feel like they need to scare people into voting for them. And every one of these cynical stunts becomes another chip that they'll be able to throw into the game and say, this is this, this is what we've done for you. And this is why you need to support us, because otherwise Canada will be set on fire by this far right trucker raging piece of shit Pierre Polly ever. Yeah, we're definitely also seeing this uh, in the black community across Canada. You know, after 2020, there was all sorts of interest from all sorts of different groups to fund and support um, people who were working to uh, support black communities. And of course, a lot of that also came from the government. Now, the government gave two very particular initiatives um, uh, focused on two very particular initiatives. One, providing grants, uh, sorry, loans uh, to black businesses, the government providing loans to black businesses. I just, I don't know. <laughs> and, and the other is this massive $200 million uh, grant endowment fund that would go to uh, a black organization that would then become a granting body for other black community organizations uh, across uh, across the country. That seems uh, characteristically schemy <laughs> from the liberals. Characteristically schemy. Now, the, the, uh, the, 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 
applications to become the granting body opened up in the fall of last year. Um, it also closed in the fall of last year. It was a very, oh. very short period uh, to apply. And I am willing to bet that we are going to hear about who was um, ultimately granted, given the grant, uh, this month because it's Black History Month and the liberals are the liberals. <laughs> but also um, the one organization, at least uh, the Black Opportunity Fund, there is an article that has come out in the Globe and Mail. They've detailed that they made a significant submission, an over 500-page submission uh, to become this granting body. And they were denied with very little um, communication from the government at all. It was a very short email saying that their outcomes, uh, they received low scores on their outcomes, but with no other uh, information attached just before Black History Month started. So again, pretty sure that the announcement is coming with whomever it's going to be. And I'm just really curious about um, how how that's going to end up. But as you say, it sounds characteristically schemey. If you've listened to this podcast for a while... You know how we feel about liberal schemes, um, and uh, I'm willing. I'm willing to bet that it's going to be more of the same. Well, and it's interesting because as you're telling me this story, I'm thinking of my experience in getting money from the federal government, and I, I, I have to admit I don't have much experience with it. I have to approach Heritage Canada every year to fund the vigil for the for the commemoration at the mosque. That's that's one of the roles that I have, and. I know that if there is questions or if you haven't filled something out exactly to what they're hoping for, they call you. There's program officers that work with you to make sure that your application is as complete as possible before it actually goes above the program officer's head for a decision. And so I wonder, like, are people submitting to this new fund, like not even being given the supports that they need to be able to be successful? And so they're like massively wasting their time and energy and being frustrated and, and having plans get dashed last minute just because like really normal, necessary bureaucracy hasn't been put in place. Um, I I have a suspicion that it's even more sinister than that, but I'll hold my tongue until uh, we find out who actually does get the um, get awarded uh, that because I'm willing to be surprised surprised here and and find out that it, it's not as as cynical that I'm uh, as what my guess is what it is. But I'll, I'll I'll wait till the actual announcement comes out. But I will say that. As you know, I do a thousand different projects, and uh, in one of the projects that I'm working on currently, um, I have had uh, some experience uh, applying for federal grants in which um, actually that's not the experience that I've had at all, Nora. <laughs> it's been like, oh, there's um, you want to meet with us ahead of time to try to figure out eligibility concerns? Well, we're not going to tell you exactly the answer for that. You're just going to have to apply and find out, um, which is weird. It's it's a weird thing to, as you say, as you very rightly say, sort of like defang movements. And then to say, here's this money that you can get. And then, oh, no, we're not going to help you try to figure out this game. This is a game. You, you apply. 
and we'll see if you get the money. And I mean, it's just one of those things that especially uh, for for black communities who've been sort of denied um, uh, government funding and grants for so long, just because there hasn't been interest in Canada in black communities and um, a, a disbelief, I think, in our contributions to like history and heritage and culture in this country and um, a, a denial of the fact that we have uh, particular concerns that might need particular research or grants or whatever um, to to respond that way um, to 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 new initiatives is a continuation of of systemic um, anti blackness which is hidden from the public's eyes. Hmm. Hmm. Now I should say too, even though we're successful in these grants, do you know when I find out if we get the money every year? May. No, like the event is January. We have to apply by September and we get told between 24 and 48 hours before the event started. Oh, <laughs> I, I say May only because for some for some initiatives that uh, the government does fund, they don't tell you until after the initiative starts. And it's like, unless you're a particular type of, unless you're a particular type of organization, that is again a way that systemically certain certain types of organizations are left out of any sort of available funding. For sure. Now, this is specifically the event like pocket of money from Heritage Canada. So, like, there's a lot of ongoing things, and there's a lot of hoops where you have to be like be a not for profit, and then you can't get money if you're not a not for profit, and then groups have to jump through hoops. We have to deal with that. But like, this is literally to fund events, so we have to sign, you know, ten thousand dollar contracts every year with a like praying that the money's just going to show up. So the whole thing's like a mess. And you're you're right. The way that this though has become more and more important for how groups fund their stuff. I think that that's really where the problem is. And then then there's political interference or there's political uh, points that are tried to be scored through certain events. I will say that this year I got the call from the minister himself <laughs> about our funding, which is really weird <laughs> um, and related to other stuff that actually had nothing to do with us at all um, going on with, with, this, um, with this pile of money. But it's it's tiresome. And, and I think that like there's just no there's no thinking publicly about the, the impact that this does have on our ability to challenge the government. And what it does as well is then it creates this idea that there's like, you know, activism or social justice activism because we have a left wing government, which is not fucking true, but that's what people say, um, should flow from government. And so I saw, like, in, in an article written by Althea Raj for the Toronto Star about this whole stuff with Amira El-Gawabi, she has this weird line at the end about how, you know, maybe this position's not necessary, which is, like, fine, that's a debate that we totally can have, uh, because of publicly funded lobby groups who lobby against Islamophobia. And I was like, what the fuck is she talking about? Like, and then I was I'm like, are, are, how many groups are getting public funding to, I mean, lobby groups? I don't know what that means. But like, so fighting against systemic racism, they're being fucking funded by government. Like, she must have something in her mind. That's not something that a, that a columnist would just throw in randomly if she was making something up. So it's like, you know, in, in a matter of two generations, like activism has both been crushed thanks to neoliberalism and has been so successfully taken over by power that our our hands are tied like there's handcuffs all over the place and i don't i don't know if people realize that and i don't know if people realize 
how little power then they have to to properly confront government when when the rubber hits the road. Sorry, I just need to make sure that I understood you correctly. So this this article by Althea Raj is saying that publicly funded lobby groups are the equivalent of of an anti-Islamophobia representative hired by the government to to uh, presumably do the work of implementing um, uh, shifts uh, or recommendations of shifts that would root out systemic anti-Islamophobia? Is that is that what the article is arguing, that the lobby groups are equivalent to the to a, to a government employee? Yeah, I don't know, Sandy. Why don't, why don't I read it for you and you can see if that's what's being said here, okay? because <laughs> okay, that's fucking bizarre, dude. <laughs> so this is what she writes. Quote, perhaps the lesson here for all political parties is to stop trying to score points by pitting segments of the population against each other. <laughs> fuck, Althea. That's not the lesson. Okay, fuck, whatever. Back to the article. Quote, there is nothing wrong with having a special representative on Islamophobia. There is a concerning anti-Muslim sentiment in this country. But let's also be honest. The liberals created this position to court Muslim votes in the GTA. They don't need a special representative to advise them when they have Muslim caucus members and publicly funded lobby groups. So, yeah, I would say that you characterize that correctly. Oh, my God, that's so bad. <laughs> How could somebody? I, I, I don't know if it, I, I hope that it's obvious that it is bizarre to equate a lobby group with the government itself, like someone who is advocating for the government to do something with the with the government itself. It doesn't matter that those people have the you know, like are of the same background. Like it, it, those are two very different positions, like being being the government and having the responsibility to do the thing is not the same as being outside of the government, whether you are publicly funded as a lobby group or not, and and advocating for the government to do the thing. Those are two very different power positions and very different purpose positions. So no, not exactly the same. Very weird article. Can you believe that can you believe that she equates like literally Muslim members of the caucus with like fighting Islamophobia? Like, sorry, like what the fuck? That, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, Scott, like for people listening, like sorry, we don't actually think Althea Raj knows fucking politics, and clearly she does not. So I mean, this is um, a good example of what someone who's a liberal columnist, and I would say big L and small L liberal, uh, trying to be critical of her party, right? And it's like, uh, I mean, all you did was show us that you don't know what you're talking about, but. This is the interesting perception that exists within uh, those who exist to influence public opinion. Woo. Okay. Anyway, before we got there, what I was going to say was that I think we've pointed to two very um, uh, particular things that have come together in in the, the the liberal scheme of of using these dates and using communities. And one is, you know, the granting issue in this country, and how many organizations uh, are are just so beholden to this granting system as a way to to get money and how the government is then able to really control these organizations. I, I can't tell you how many organizations that I've spoken to who, for example, may want to support um, some really forward-thinking policy, maybe something like defunding the police, but feel like they can't, feel like they need to be really careful about what they say or how they act if they are going to be able to make 
the, um, the, the argument that they need to get that next operating grant or that they're going to be able to get that next pot of money um, that is coming up. And so it, it really does uh, control groups um, who may engage in um, self-censorship, even if the government isn't saying, like, in particular, well, you can't be in favor of defunding the police if you want this money. But these groups, you know, are doing everything that they can to make sure that they get this money so they can continue to do um, whatever work it is that they're doing in the future. And the other thing that, that we were pointing out is how the liberals are just so good at doing nothing and but like standing next to people who make them seem like they're doing something it's like it is it is as ugly as like a corporation who's like oh we're we're interested in me too so we've now hired like a a a women's specialist and we're really interested in anti-racism so now we have hired a um, DEI representative a diversity equity and inclusion representative in all cases it's just this one person that's been hired in the company at a fairly high level they don't have a budget or anything but they're they're there and we'll point to them every single time anyone's questioning what are you doing about racism well we got this guy over there see he's black and he's going to be doing things about the racism He's got no budget. We've got no plan, but we've got a guy standing next to us. It's the same sort of cynical bullshit that the government is doing when they make these sorts of um, uh, cynical moves, especially, and it's especially ugly when, gosh, it kind of just seems like they, they, they appointed Amira El-Gawabi and they have no plan uh, to support her in what they've obviously done in appointing her on the day that they've that they've appointed her. Mm-hmm. This this whole thing makes me think a lot about something that I, I, I wrote about back in Take Back the Fight. And it was related to whether or not pipelines are feminist or anti-feminist. Do you remember this like mini scandal a couple of years ago? Mm, refresh my memory. Okay. So th- there is this debate and it was around um, discussions of gender-based analysis plus. So running different public policies and budgets through a gender-based analysis plus analysis. <laughs> gender-based anal- gender-based plus analysis. I don't know. Whatever. These are all buzzwords. It doesn't matter. But th- effectively, you look for the gendered impact of different policies that you might not be seeing if you're not specifically looking for it. It's like, okay, fine. And so there was this comment made about how pipelines are anti-feminist or they hurt women. Uh, because if you use a gender-based analysis on pipelines, you can see that you know, they create construction jobs, which disproportionately go to men. Um, there's a rise in violence around man camps with construction. They impact Indigenous communities and tend to uh, disproportionately even there impact Indigenous women. So blah, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of ways that you can look at pipelines and say that they are not feminist public policy. So this this is something that becomes a line of the federal government. And the conservatives so expertly use it, so easily use it, that I think it was Michelle Rempel and then Jason Kenney, for sure, who were basically like, oh, what the hell are you? T- the pipelines are good and honest, hard people. Like, we have good people making pipelines. What the fuck are you talking about, Justin Trudeau? But there was no attempt from the federal government, once they were called out by these conservatives, to clarify, to do any useful or interesting work to demonstrate the gendered impact of large-scale construction projects and how, you know, if you were to do the same kind of large-scale building in a in a sector where women are the majority of workers, like that there's different different economic 
economic spinoffs and how actually daycare creates more economic activity than a fucking construction site does. Anyway, whatever. They just left it. And so then the message was just left in the air that, oh, look how silly the federal government is with their with their feminism because they're now saying the pipelines are anti-feminist. And I thought that was such a great example of how they use these issues. They use language that's developed by feminist thinkers and feminist activists. They try to score points with people who would identify as feminist. And then the second that things go haywire, the second they're called out, they just fucking fuck off, right? They force uh, Amira El-Gawabi to apologize. They repeal their amendments to gun legislation, which they've promised to a lot of people, uh, including to the survivors of the Polytechnic shooting uh, in, uh, in in 1989. And and then we're, we're left way worse off. We're left way worse off. Like in Quebec after this week, discussions of Islamophobia have, have absolutely been horrible. And we're going to be dealing with the fallout of this for a long time. So it's like, Fuck the liberals and their fucking cynical use of this stuff, their co-optation of it. And I I mean, I guess the only good news is it's going to stop soon because Polly Ever is not going to do that kind of politics. Oh God, it's almost as though you're telling me that they're learning about these sorts of politics from Twitter. Oh, no, I, no they're much more sophisticated than that. You think so? Yeah, I think that like if you think of how the provincial liberals when we were in the student movement, like pretended to offer free tuition fees and then didn't uh, or pretended to offer 30% off tuition fees and then didn't. I think that that's the exact same thing. It's just that that was about tuition fees. And these are like what we would say are like identity based issues. Oh, you, uh, I, we disagree on this point. Oh <laughs> yeah. I, I think that um, identity based issues have been, um, uh, have like deep development in the Academy and they have been, washed of all of their, like, uh, their politic, their philosophy, their, um, uh, the, the carefulness with, with, through which, um, they have been developed in pop culture. Like when it arrives in pop culture, it's like garbage. And I think, I think that the liberals in their uptake of identity issues are taking a version of identity, um, the way uh, that we talk about identity that has been uh, filtered through pop culture and has has very has a meaning that is so superficial that it is easy uh, to be co-opted, made fun of, and uh, and used by conservatives. And it's actually uh, quite dangerous, in fact. And we're seeing the impacts of that um, in in so many ways uh, uh, in in our federal politics. I think when it comes to the schemes like lying about tuition fees being free, that's completely different. They're like manipulating math. They're manipulating um, the essentially they're 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 just being propagandists and manipulating how they are talking about an issue, knowing that the the media isn't going to do any sort of um, uh, deep rigor uh, in in trying to figure out if if they're telling the truth or not, because the media is so often operates as a PR arm uh, to the government. So I think it's a little bit different. I think that they literally um, d- just don't have 
the chops in in their caucus to to truly understand identity issues, but they know that people care about identity issues, so they just they're like, eh, whatever, let's appoint someone who's um, who fits this identity to to take care of this thing, and then when it blows up in their face, they're like, ah, fuck, we don't know what to do, and uh, and I think when it comes to like this tuition fee schemey stuff, they're literally just being. Um, liars lying to their constituents and hoping that they get away with it. Very interesting, because I, I mean, as you were talking, I was actually more convinced that it's its more similar than it is different. <laughs> just huh. just because I think that I, I don't, and I, I don't think that you think this either, but like, I don't think that this is ignorance and shortcuts with identity issues. I think that they're just being as cynical and as clever, actually, about them and that they don't care. They're just going to straight up lie. And because certainly social media helps with this because and and the fucking total ignorance of journalists help with this as well, because you have Althea Raj then fucking equate lobbyists with fucking literal members of the government. Oh, my God. Actually, when you put it that way, like she probably shouldn't be a fucking columnist. And representation with expertise. What the fuck? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. But um, but I, I think that they're playing that more uh, strategically than it might look, uh, even if they're fucking it up. Oh, I'll, I don't get me wrong. I don't think it's not strategic. I think it's absolutely strategic. But I think that there's ignorance mi- mixed in because for me, it's like why why wouldn't they respond to the uh, pipelines aren't feminist sort of backlash unless if they if they knew anything if they knew how to respond they would they would respond if they knew how in the same way that like when students were like uh tuition isn't actually free they were like yeah yes it is (laughs) and uh, here's how we calculated it in another lie but they still responded like they just don't know what to do in these cases because they don't actually understand this politic Mm mm-hmm but I, but it's still strategic and bullshit and cynical. And it, what it belies is that they actually don't really give a shit about these communities. So far as um, uh, anything more than uh, them just being able to deliver them votes. Yeah, Althea was right about that one. <laughs> so okay, so she gets part marks. Uh, one one half mark. Oh, <laughs> her name's on the article too. I mean, come on. You get you get a point for showing up and getting your name right. 